busy. Ask anyone how they are doing these days, and half of the time, that is the answer. Busy. To-do lists are everywhere with more tasks coming in than can possibly be completed. From the perspective of a teacher, there are always more tasks that can be done to make the lesson better, the assessment better, the learning better, the connections with the students better. But what if instead of responding with the word busy, you could respond differently? You could respond with a clarity that comes from a knowledge that you are doing what you should be doing and not a whole lot more. But how do we get there? In today's episode of the Amadon Planet podcast, we look to the work of Greg McGowan and the ideas in his book, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less for Some Ideas and How to Make That Journey. Here we go. This is the Amadon Planet podcast, episode three, More With Less. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I know there are a lot of choices out there and greatly appreciate you giving this a listen. I want to honor your time, so let's dive in. And just a reminder, the purpose of the Amadon Planet podcast is to learn, to learn how to be better and ultimately how to teach better. My intent is to pull out ideas from books, interviews, other podcasts, you know, basically any content that is out there and consider how to apply those ideas to being better and teaching better. Ultimately, the goal of the podcast and my own personal goal is to lead people to love others through learning and teaching. Now, I heard somewhere that if you are going to be a leader, first you must learn to lead yourself. Well, this episode of the Amadon Planet podcast is full of examples of me learning and then applying that to my own actions. Right off the bat, some of you might be wondering where the trailer for this episode was. Well, it doesn't exist. For one, last week I was in uh, New York City taking my daughter on her 10-year-old trip, which is something I learned from Bob Goff and his book Love Does, which you can hear more about in episode two of the podcast. And so I practice a bit of Detached to Connect, one of the learnings from that episode. So I detached from my podcast publishing schedule to connect with my daughter during this once-in-a-lifetime uh, event in her life. So uh, also after rereading the book for today, it became clear that I needed to make some changes to keep this podcast thing going. More on that in a bit. Anyway, just wanted to say that when I say the goal of the podcast is to lead people to love others through learning and teaching, just know that I am taking my own medicine and being reminded that I need to apply these things to myself. So I can be better and I can teach better. Again, more on those learnings as we get into the content of the book. So speaking of the book, the featured book for this episode is Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less by Greg McCown. The purpose of this book is to figure out what are the actions and only those actions that need to be done to move towards your best opportunity to make an impact and basically taking on this identity of an essentialist. And again, more about that in a second. And I, but I like how uh, Greg McGowan uh, says it is about making the wisest possible investment of your time and energy in order to operate at our highest point of contribution by doing only what is essential. Thus, the theme for this episode is more with less. Taking your time and energy and directing it as much as possible toward a single endeavor. So... Who is the author? So just make it easy. I thought, you know what? He wrote his own bio, so why don't we read his bio? So Greg McCown writes, teaches, and lectures around the world on the importance of living and leading as an essentialist. He has spoken at companies including Apple, Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, Salesforce.com, Semantic, and Twitter, and is among the most popular bloggers for the Harvard Business Review and LinkedIn's Influencer Group. 
He co-created the course Designing Life, essentially, at Stanford University, was a collaborator of the Wall Street Journal bestseller Multipliers, and serves as a young global leader for the World Economic Forum. Greg holds an MBA from Stanford University, and he also has a website, www.gregmcowan.com, and I'll put a link to his website on uh, in the show notes at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode three, if you're looking for that. So uh, that's Greg McCown. Um you know, smart guy is living this out. So it's not just something, you know, some ideas he put together, but is actually trying to live this stuff out. And how he has organized the book, it's basically four parts. Uh, part one is called Essence. So basically the idea of the mindset of an essentialist. Uh, part two is Explore. Uh, how can we discern the trivial many from the vital few? So really thinking about how do we uh, get out there and identify where we should put our effort towards, not just, you know, I said having the mindset means we've identified, yes, we do need to like focus in our effort. Uh, part two is explore. How do we find where we focus that effort? Part three, after we find, we were talking about eliminate. So part three is eliminate. How can we cut out the trivial many? So if we've identified our, our area of focus, that thing that we're going to focus all our energy on and time, how do we eliminate the other stuff, Right. And part four is execute. Uh, how can we make doing the vital few things almost effortless? So eliminating friction from doing those things. And another thing that I saw that I really liked is there's also an appendix uh, within this book about on how to apply this material to leadership. So that's really a, a kind of a nice way that this book is organized. So you've got all these principles. So it's kind of self-focused, but then the leadership appendix kind of gets you to how do you think about it within organizationally. Um, you know, and one thing is, as I was rereading this book, it made me think about this other book that I had a chance to read. I was on this uh, launch group, launch team for Michael Hyatt's new book, uh, Free to Focus. And a lot of the same principles can be seen across the way, uh, across the two books. I think uh, McCown's book is really kind of more of a, of a philosophy and kind of more of an, an identity focused sort of book on um, this idea of essentialism and then how to get there. But then um, Hyatt's book really gets kind of more more practical. I'm not saying that there isn't a practicality in essentialism, but there's more aimed at practicality in uh, Michael Hyatt's book, at least just from my perspective. So they kind of, I mean, I see that they can complement each other. So if you're looking for another um, perspective on this idea of focusing in on a single target, uh, Michael Hyatt's book, Free to Focus, could be something. Again, I'll put a link to that book within the show notes. So this book is just really about communicating the mindset and identity of being essentialist. So again, thinking about that idea of an, an identity of an essentialist and getting that mindset. Uh, one metaphor that McCown uses in the beginning of the book is connecting our lives and the things that we do to a closet full of clothes, where some of the clothes are your favorites and others don't fit or are never worn. And, um, you know, so how do you systematically handle organizing this mess of a closet to get down to only those things, as Marie Kondo would say in her Netflix show, that spark joy um, essentially is a, uh, uh, is a way, um, a way of handling or tidying up the closet uh, of our lives. So if that makes sense as a metaphor, um, then hopefully that's helpful to you. So, but it is more than that, and I'm so excited to talk about this book. Um, there's, as you can kind of see, already from just talking about how the book is organized, uh, there's lots of material in here, and so we're going to try to keep it down to a reasonable 
length podcast. But before I jump into the big ideas that I'm pulling out of this book, just a quick disclaimer, in no way will I be able to communicate the whole value of the book. And even if I did, it would be from my perspective. In other words, if you like what you hear, go get the book yourself. You've heard me say this over and over again. Links to purchase the book can be found at ambidonplanet.com forward slash episode three or seek it out wherever you buy high quality books like this one. If possible, try to support your local bookseller like Square Books uh, here in Oxford, Mississippi, which is where I purchased this book. Uh. All right. So now we're going to get into learnings and applications from this book, Essentialism. And it was really tough. Uh, If you look at my copy of this book, which I did get at Square Books, uh, you'll just see tons of highlights. And um, I mean, I think I've read it three times now. And the amount of notes that I have written in it and the amount of just, man, uh, good uh, quality nuggets that I, I, I take out of here is just unbelievable. Um, and just and now it's even like we're going back and I look at something like, wow, I've been saying that now for a long time and I got that in, got that mindset or whatever from this book, but I even forgot it's been so long or it's been uh, so ingrained in part of me. Like I, I forgot that, oh, I got it from this book. So... Um, lots of stuff to choose from. And I was trying to think about what, what were the key learnings that I could grab out of here that um, he really hammers home in the book and also to um, uh, uh, that would have applications towards teaching. I mean, a lot of it does. And, you know, you can have more applications than what I can come up with. But I was just trying to think, like, what were the main things that I could think of, especially for teachers that might be beginning in their career or even just like are just starting to burn out? Like, what would be some things that would help them get back to that that core principle for why you do what you do? And even if you're not a teacher, again, like we said in uh, earlier episodes, I think everyone's a teacher. Everyone's influencing others through something and thus you're teaching but thinking about anyone from you know person on the street like what do you need to do to really focus in on this idea of essentialism or the disciplined pursuit of less right because there's so much out there again this idea of being busy is so prevalent how do we just get into the stuff that's important if we can all be focused in on what's important how much better would this world be rather than just doing a bunch of stuff without quality right or without passion behind it what if we just focus in on this these things that we're supposed to okay so learnings and applications um oh oh before i forget you know one thing i was going to say is you know maybe a better podcast could just be that you go purchase the audible version of this book and just listen to it well one thing i want you to know that is tim ferris did a great interview with greg mccown and i'm going to link to that in our uh, show notes at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode three. But also, Tim Ferriss had secured a chapter, the first chapter of the book um, in its entirety you know, on one of the episodes of his podcast. So I'll link to that as well. So those two links will be um, in uh, in the show notes. So go take a look at those. Those are, or go take a listen to those. It's fantastic. You get a full chapter and it's kind of that mindset of the essentialist. And then If you get hooked on that and you want to go find the book again, go purchase the book. It's so good. So given all that, one of the learnings I want to talk about first is this idea of patiently explore your options. Patiently explore your options. And I think um, especially as someone that's jumping into a position or you're moving to a new, uh, going somewhere new, you're going to be overwhelmed with here are things you could do. 
And one phrase that I really liked uh, from the book was, it's all good, which is bad. (laughs) It's all good, which is bad. So if you look at all these things that you could do in your current position, like, you know, uh, if there's coaching opportunities, extracurricular, if there's opportunities to be on some board or, you know, wherever you're at in a position, there are all sorts of opportunities to, you know, to be on a committee, to do certain things or whatever, to coach, to whatnot. There's all sorts of opportunities. And what is stressed in here, this, uh, especially the explore uh, chapter, um, really gets this idea of discerning the trivial many from the vital few. So, and he would say that the essentialist would be more exploratory than the traditional person. Like you would explore your options. You would look at all the options out there rather than just start committing, you know, hearing something and committing to it. And now you all of a sudden you're limited, but no, go explore that option. You hear about an opportunity, go explore it. Go look at all the opportunities of everything. And to really think like, how could this feed into my core identity and who I want to be. And, you know, I want to focus in on something that's really meaningful. How can I make the most impact and really do that uh, key thing of exploring versus tying yourself down to certain things. And, and this kind of goes back and let's just take a quick time out and back up to this core mindset of an essentialist. And one uh, kind of visual that I wanted to use that's in the book um, but we can kind of make it into a, an audio uh, description. Uh, this core idea of an essentialist, and just to make sure that we're backing up, and you know, sometimes I race ahead and I'm like, hey, have we really talked about what is an essentialist? And I think the best way to describe the essentialist is he has a picture in there of kind of a sun, right? So like a kind of like how you would draw a sun as like a third grader, right? Like a circle with rays going out from it, you know? So you can pick a circle with like arrows going out all over, all around the circumference of the circle, right? So, and that's all energy. Energy is being going out from you from everywhere, right? And so, yeah, that's, you're doing lots of different things, but all that energy is going in different directions. And then he compares that to a picture of an essentialist, right? So the first picture of the circle with all the arrows going all the different directions would be a non-essentialist. The circle with an arrow going in a single direction, Right, and think about taking all those little arrows from around the circle, putting all that energy into a sing and all those you know, or maybe even all those line segments into a single line, right? And thinking about how much further that could go than those single individual lines that are like going in all different directions. What if we put all those lines into one big arrow? You'd have something there, and like another uh, like a meta. You know, way to picture that is, you know, you can, you know, you can think about putting your hand out there out and, and feeling the sun's rays, right? So it's a sunny day. Let's say it's a sunny day, sunny day today. So if I go outside and I put my hand out, I can feel the sun's warmth on my hand, right? Okay. So what if I take that same amount of sun, sunlight and focus it? So using a magnifying glass and focus it I can't hold my I can't hold my hand out and and feel that that's going to burn my hand, right? All that energy or and you think about it, that's just a fraction, a small fraction of the sun's energy that can be captured within a magnifying glass. But all that energy being focused in on a single point, 
can cause some damage. It's, it's a lot of energy, right? And that's just even a small fraction of the sun's energy, right? Now think about your own energy, your own time. If you focus it on a single thing, and that's what uh, Greg McCowan is saying, is like, what if we did and focus? What if we focused all our time and energy on what? It's almost like what we are designed to do, right? I know my efforts need to be focused in on, uh, you know, helping teachers, teaching teachers, right? Teaching teachers to um, love others through their teaching, right? That's that's kind of been my focus, right? And so how do I direct all my effort on that single area, right? And so that's the idea of an essentialist. So one, being convinced of that, right? That's kind of part one. And so now we're in part two about exploring. And so that idea of, and so now we're kind of back to where I was thinking about patiently exploring your options. Like, what are the options out there? I mean, it took me a long time. I'm 40 years old. It took me a long time to formulate what my purpose is. And it probably wouldn't have taken so long if I would have seen this book a long time ago, which it didn't exist. But getting would have if I would have... Um, grabbed onto these principles a long time ago and not started committing to everything. And like I said before, you know, that whole phrase, it's all good, which is bad, where I would see opportunities like, oh, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want want to coach. I want to do this. I want to do that. And all these things and just getting overwhelmed with stuff to do that it was really hard to see like, well, what am I really good at? What, how have I been gifted? How can I use the gifts I've been given to serve others? Right. And to think all that noise got in the way of me focusing in. So patiently explore your options. I mean, McCowan has all of these different things on, you know, uh, in the second uh, part of the book on how we can explore our options and being patient and not just jumping on something, right? But patiently exploring your options. So he says, you know, giving yourself space by escaping, being unavailable and doing some thinking, look around, see what really matters, uh, the idea of play and really thinking about like how can we put in this essence of play to really you know decide like is something what we need to be doing, um, giving yourself space and time to rest and, and he talks about the importance of sleep, um, and then selecting using extreme criteria and selecting what we're going to do, right? And so all that idea is about exploring but being patient in that process. And this is I think one of the most key parts of the book because we aren't patient like we are in a a place where we want things to happen immediately and to have that ability to be patient and to to give yourself space and time to think and reflect is so important you know and I talk to um, some of the teachers that I teach and I I talk about the importance of a um, a philosophy statement whatever something that you're going to use to guide what you do in the classroom so we have this sort of like kind of mini constitution, a pocket-sized philosophy statement that you can use to say, well, what's important, right? And so having that thing uh, that you can keep bouncing off of. So like for me, uh, I first started, I was pretty generic, and I said um, to help students be successful in math, right? I was a high school math teacher, so I wanted to help students be successful in math, right? And so I kind of use that as something um, to guide what I did. All right, so all I'm going to do is make sure I know the content. I know the objectives I'm going to be taught. We're going to make those really clear uh, and make those transparent to the students. But then I got to thinking, all right, well, what if this student is really good at mathematics, 
but then, you know, pushes somebody as they leave the door. Like, they just got an A on the test, but, you know, on the way out the door, they insult somebody, they, you know, trip somebody, they, you know, cause harm, um, they stole some candy, whatever, or, you know, they cause some vandalism, but they left having had an A in my class. They left my class with an A, but then on the way out, you could see, like, there's some not-so-good character traits. Would I feel like a success? Would I feel successful? They left my, they, they left my class being successful in math, but then that, that didn't feel good, right? And so having time to think about that and reflect made me change that statement. So then, you know, as a newer teacher, I changed that statement and, like, uh, help students be successful in math and in life. Right, because that kid that left, knowing the math but not having the maybe the proper ways of operating within the world, right? That I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel success, right? I didn't feel success with that kid having those sorts of characteristics. So now I'm putting more on my plate with regards to what I need to do uh, to be successful. But that's where my beliefs are, right? That's where I have to put. So when a student, um is uh, doing something in the classroom that I don't, you know, that has nothing to do with their mathematical ability, but might have to do something with their character, I still might address it, right? Or if I'm walking in the hallway and I hear a student um, swear, right, I would stop and I'd say, you know, and I don't know this, I didn't know that student, the student is not in my classroom, but I would, you know, hear them swear, you know, I would stop them and say, you know what, hi, my name is Mr. Amidon. Um, I don't know who you are, but all I, all I do know is that you use those words in this school, right? And so I don't want that to be the only thing. So I learn their name and say, hey, just think about that. Think about the words that you're using and who's listening to them. And like, um, and is that what you want to be known for? And just, and, and maybe those kids never even thought two times about that. But I felt that as my job was to help students be successful in math and in life, that that was something that I did need to spend time doing and building those relationships. And so, um, you know, going back to uh, patiently explore your options, you need to have space to think. So don't be in a rush to commit to things, right? Don't be in a rush to commit to things and thinking about what might leverage the best opportunity. So, and, and I don't know if um, this makes sense, but, one thing that I found in um, was a really good commitment for me was coaching middle school track. So I was a high school math teacher. So and I knew I, I liked to coach, and and I was at a time when I didn't have either had a very young child or didn't have a um, any kids at the time. But I I got the opportunity to coach middle school track, and that was the best thing ever. Now I didn't I wasn't very mindful about this. Like I just happened to get offered the opportunity to coach middle school track, but I loved it. It was a very short season. It was in the spring and it involved a lot of kids. So like a hundred kids, seventh and eighth graders. Well, I taught uh, my majority of my teaching was at ninth graders. So these are kids that I was going to see fairly soon. So I got an opportunity to build relationships with these kids in a very low, um, uh, Oh, what am I trying to think? Low risk, whatever situation where they're, I mean, they're running track. They're, you know, they're putting, getting them an opportunity to be successful in these different ways. So in field, track and field sort of events, so running and, or, you know, doing some of the field events and just 
getting to build that relationship with them from a uh, from the a sem- basically either a semester or a year before they might see me was so valuable. Like that, I would have kids coming to my that they could vouch for me. Like, hey, that's Coach Amadon or that's Mr. Amadon who was Coach Amadon last year. And like, yeah, I had him in track. He was, you know, like just to say, like, I know him. And hopefully they would be like, yeah, he said he's an okay guy, right? And so that became something that if I knew I wanted to coach, that became a really good option. Like that was a short season. It involved a lot of kids and it evolved me to build a relationship with students before they saw me in ninth grade. Versus like if I would have coached varsity basketball, I wouldn't have seen a lot of those kids. I mean, I might have had the relationship with them from freshman year, but I wasn't going to, I mean, I didn't really see them until, I mean, I would have seen them years before. So it had been better for basketball, but not necessarily better for my teaching. And my teaching was more important than my coaching, right? And so in patiently, if I was to patiently explore my options and I was to go back and teach, I would I'd probably do some track again, you know? Um, but that kind of get you know leads into this next one is to take commitment seriously. Um, again, this is this is something where I'm not I'm not a very good example of this because I was kind of a commitment um, a serial committer <laughs> to different things. I mean, I I am the first one to say like I am I've overcommitted myself uh, a lot. But in my age, I think I'd say like to take my commitment seriously. And so in, um, and that's why in the book, he, McCowan would talk about exploring to make sure that you're only committing to things that offer you the best opportunity for impact. Right. And so when you do, it's something that is very important. So when you commit to it, you're going to go all in and you're going to do it because you know that this has a lot of influence going forward. Right. And so again, going back to my own experience, if I was going to commit to being that, uh, middle school track coach, I mean, I would really take the opportunity to develop relationships, learn as many names as possible, try to develop those relationships with those students. So when they get to my classroom, that not only do I have the relationship with them, but then they will help me get relationships with their friends and their, the people that they uh, have relationships with. And so it'd be this um, investment, right? But taking commitment seriously means that if you do you do commit to something that it is something that's important and then you're all in for it versus you know if you've been like me a serial committer and then all of a sudden you realize oh my goodness I'm committed to all these things if I actually think about how do I how much time do I need to do all these things well I, I'm not gonna be able to do it I'm, I'm, I'm there I, there's no possible way I can do all that I've been at I've committed myself to doing and so thinking about how do you set yourself up for success that way. And that kind of leads into part three, which talks about eliminate. Um, and I did this recently where I listed out all the roles that I am currently committed to. And, you know, I used a, a page of, you know, like a, a word document and I did single space and I had of all the roles that I listed, you know, from, you know, teacher to advisor to, you know, um, dissertation chair, to, you know, outside commitments, coaching, you know, husband, you know, all the, you know, all and father, all these, uh, roles that I had, it was a, over a page long of single space, like going a list of roles that I had committed to, right? I mean, I'm committed to being a husband. I'm committed to being a father. I'm committed to being a son. I'm committed to being a brother, right? I'm committed to being a professor. I'm committed. And then like you start going to the things that you start adding on, 
of all these different commitments and all these roles that I'm trying to fill and how can I take them seriously, right? How do I take the time and to think about what are the roles that I've committed to that may be around the fringe that aren't in line with that kind of core identity of who I want to be as an essentialist. And so so to start eliminating some of those roles or, you know what, I did commit to them. When is, when is the next time? So I had a, um, I was on a board and I saw that, Hey, my, my three-year commitment that I originally committed to was coming up and a lot of times on that board, people would just continue on. But I saw like, you know what? It's time to step off from that. Or uh, another one where I just, it was a, another board where I was on a kind of a, I was on this board for a long time. And I'm like, uh, you know what? I need to step off this board because of the other commitments that are on this list. I need to refocus my energy. So taking, you know, some of that sideways energy and putting it back into some of those other um, commitments. So really this idea of taking commitments seriously and thinking about how to select, um, choose, and then eliminate some of those other things that you're doing, right? And, and how to make decisions about what you're going to commit to in the future. So how do you limit the creep of other commitments coming in uh, to the fold, right? So if you're, um, you know, for example, if I'm going to take on a course, how do I eliminate another course, right? Or if I'm taking on this committee, how can I get off another committee, right? If I'm going to get into something that's more into where I'm going to focus my energy on, how do I eliminate other things that are not quite in that area of focus? Uh, And I really like the book in this point where, I mean, the sections within the eliminate the chapters within the eliminate section are clarify one decision that makes a thousand dare the power of a graceful no uncommit win big by cutting your losses right so getting out of things edit the invisible art um, limit the freedom of setting boundaries I mean all these things can help not only uh, reduce what you're being committed to but like kind of guard you from getting into more commitments right. Uh, maybe even, uh, you know, I was in another um, kind of mentorship program where they, they talked about the idea of no. Like, how do you stop yourself from saying yes? And it it might seem that's a negative, but every time you do say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. And this is something that it, in Michael Hyatt's book that I mentioned earlier is really really comes into play where every yes means a no to something else. So by saying no... <laughs> You know, by saying no immediately to something that's not within your realm of possibilities to do, even though it's a good thing, it could be a very good thing. You, but to say no to it means that you don't need to say no to something that is really important, right? That you've already committed to, right? Um, you know, if I, like, if, for example, if I commit to, uh, you know, doing some uh, some committee that meets every night um, or every uh, you know two weeks at night then I might be, I'm basically saying no to reading to my son that night, right? And putting him to bed, you know, and there's only so many days where that's going to happen, right? So if I'm saying yes to that, you know, uh, committee that meets at night, I am saying no to something and no to something that probably is more important than being on that committee. Putting my son to bed and reading to him while he's in a point where he wants me to read to him is way more important than any committee, Right? Because there's only so many of those days left. 
um, where there's could be a lot of days of me being on committees that meet at night. So even if they're critically important. So taking those commitments seriously and understanding that by saying yes to something, you are saying no to something else. And so making sure that that yes is a good yes. So really taking that commitment seriously. Um, the last section, part four, is uh, execute. And so, you know, once you've you know gone through all these phases of, you know, you okay, yes, be an essentialist. That's really good. I got to figure out what's this thing. And then you do some exploring and you find this thing that you want to point your efforts towards. And then, you know, you've cut out some of the stuff, other stuff that's like this sideways energy stuff. So you can really focus in all your energy and time on this one thing. Well, then how do you make that time and energy count for more by eliminating friction, right? Stuff that's getting in the way of you going further, faster, right? So this is really where productivity really comes in. So you can use productivity... And I like this. This kind of goes back to Michael Hyde's book, and I'm sure McCallum talks about it as well. But, you know, productivity just to get more meaningless stuff done is kind of a waste, right? So, oh, I'm getting really good at doing meaningless stuff. Well, that's not very good. But if you do these principles, if you get to this point where, you know, I've gotten really focused in on what's important to me and what I need to do, well, now how do you make it even how do you be more productive so that those that time and energy can take you further, right? And so what I, you know, what I put in my learnings and applications for this is templates, routines, and procedures. Templates, routines, and procedures. And, you know, he talks about, um, you know, the ideas of routines and, um, you know, removing obstacles and there's a really good um story or kind of a not story but basically kind of metaphor in here about going on a hike right and having a bunch of people that hike at a bunch of different speeds um going on a hike somewhere and so how do you get these people to go this group of people to go as fast as possible right so you like you know would you put the fastest person in the front well, if you do that, well, then they're going to go far ahead and the person at slowest is going to be way behind, right? And then, you know, so you maybe you put the slowest person in the middle, but then you still got people, you know, with different speeds. Well, what if you put them in order of speed where the slowest thing's up front, the fastest person's behind, and then you just focus all your effort on making the slowest person as fast as possible, right? So maybe you eliminate the weight in their pack. Maybe you make sure that they're going on the exact efficient route. Maybe you make sure that, you know, like uh, that the the path is even, that they're, they've got the best equipment that they can, you know, that the procedures are, because as fast as they go, everyone else can keep up, right? And so thinking about what are the procedures that we have in place? What are the routines that we have in place to make it as efficient as possible for that or to eliminate those um, kind of bumps in the road there, the friction, in other words. And so, you know, thinking about that, uh, how does that apply to our teaching, right? And so one thing that I've thought about, and this is something I do in my own classrooms, is I have a, um, a routine for, I want students to engage with a writing, or a reading, sorry, a reading, Right. And so what I used to have them do is the traditional thing a lot of people do is have them do something on a discussion board where you'd go into a discussion board post once and comment twice on someone else's post. And then you go into the discussion board and whatever the 
learning system is and there's a you know these posts with all these you know sub posts underneath them from everyone else and everyone's just going in and checking off the box did i post yes i think blah 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 and then i go look for somebody else's post and respond oh i really liked your post and here's why you know and i really liked your post and here's why you know and then i'm done right check the boxes and then i don't want to read anyone else's well that seemed like you know if we're really trying to get at something of something meaningful right that that didn't seem to be good one there's a lot of clicks involved and you just think like well, what does that have to do with anything well that's friction right friction for being engaged in this thing of wanting you to think more deeply about this reading right um you know and wanting to expose you to other people's ideas that's friction more clicks is friction right so how about rather than putting um you into a discussion board which no one really likes and um you know it's too many clicks right how about we just post everything into a google doc where everything is just wide open you don't have to click on anything you can just you know see everyone's response and so just establishing a routine for you're going to read the read the reading and you're going to go into this google doc assigned to this reading and you're going to post something so you're going to put your name in brackets and you're going to put a reaction to whatever you read and then you're going to be encouraged to build on other people's reactions. So you read someone's and you say, hey, I, I thought about it just like that. And so right after them, and you could put it right after them in the document. Hey, yeah, I was thinking just like uh, person X was thinking, and but I thought about this instead. Or, you know, and like, oh, if you like what that is, maybe you could put a comment and highlight something and, you know, hit the little comment button and put a comment on the side and someone could comment on that. And it just eliminated friction for to get at that goal of wanting them to engage in this reading. If I think it's important to to read this thing and have some thoughts about it and wanting you to experience other people's thoughts, well then we should be we should eliminate as much friction as possible. So that's that was something that I thought about this idea and I call that dot conversations, right? So Google Docs dot conversations. That was a way to eliminate friction around certain thing. And so if I'm going to do that, if that's important to me, I need to teach that routine and procedure to my students and really make that a focal part of my class. And if that's going to be something that's important, we need to teach it, right? And using templates in order to make that happen. So that now when I go back, I mean, and redo a class and, you know, select the readings for it, that I already have this routine ready to go for any of my classes, I can use this same routine for any, and I use it for all my classes, that I've got this thing ready to go that if students have been in my classes before, they know what to expect, but it's it's still a little bit different. It's a different because there's different students are involved and it's dynamic based off of who's in the class that the temples, the templates, routines, and procedures allow me to create a... Uh, a meaningful experience with this reading that I know is important, right? And so having having different templates, routines, and procedures in order to make life easier um, is important, I think, as McCallum would say. And so, you know, he would, uh, you know, talk about this idea of flow and the genius of routine. And one thing I've, I've heard, and this has come from several books now, is like if something is important, how do you plan for it to happen, right? So, for example, writing or being creative. And, you know, like they talk about Stephen King. And Stephen King would have this routine of, um, and he would write at a certain time every day. He'd go to a certain place 
do a certain thing, and then he'd just start writing. And sometimes the writing was good, sometimes the writing was not. But he'd be like, well, if I'm going to be creative, if, if, cre- <laughs> if I'm looking for creativity, it knows where to find me because he's going to be there every single time. So flow is not something that you just hope happens, but flow is something that you can plan for and that you can make it a part of what you're going to do. McCowan talks about in his, um, uh, what he would do is for the book, for this book, he would write, I believe from like 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. every day. And he eliminated all these distractions and everything. So that was this routine that we would always have of writing from 8 p.m. 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. or whatever it was. And that was the routine. And so like, you know, flow would happen. And so and just like with anything, you keep doing it for a while, you're going to get into this idea of this is what happens. And then your mind can actually work better because you don't have to make all these decisions, right? You don't have to think like, well, what should I do first? Should I wear, what should I wear? What should I do? You know, like all these decisions that you normally would have, like, hey, what am I going to do from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m.? No, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be writing, Right. Do I have to look at email? No, you don't have to look at email. You don't look at social media. This is it. This is what we're going to be doing. So it's a way to get into that focus so that you're eliminating friction from doing what's most important to you. Um, you know, the, the execution part is really this refinement piece where, you know, if you've gone through part one, the essence of getting this idea that I'm going to be an essentialist, exploring and figuring out what you're going to focus in on, eliminating all the junk and then getting into the execution. This is where I'm struggling. And maybe you can hear it in my voice. This is where I'm struggling. I need, I think I've gotten this point where I've identified what's important to me, but I, I think I need to read this chapter for a fourth time and really think about how do I get to this execution. So, and the question that he puts, how can we make doing the vital few things almost effortless? Cause I feel like I'm still using a lot of effort, like sideways energy, even though I know where I should be going. So even though like I've got all those, you know, if we're going back to that image of the circle with all the energy, you know, going all out from radiating out from this single circle, like I still think, so I might've condensed those to one arrow or a couple arrows Right, so I'm getting further, but I think those areas, rather than being straight, they're like wiggly, right? And so, how do I straighten them out? I gotta be better about templates, routines, and procedures. So, thinking about you know, and being a professor is is kind of weird because you got all these different things you could do with research, teaching, and service. So, how do I consolidate those? And I've done fairly well, I think, in some of those areas where, you know, I've like research and teaching. I research my own teaching, so that's kind of a way of consolidating some of that. But still, I get this. I get these things where I see an opportunity and I still want to jump on it. So it's like all of a sudden, I got this little arrow going off in another direction. I'm like, dang it, I got to stop that, right? And so how do I do better at um, making sure I'm staying on the right path, I'm pointing in the right direction, and I'm eliminating sideways energy? Even if I'm on the right path and I'm how do I eliminate some of these thought processes? And one of the things I think about is like Steve Jobs, Steve, Steve Jobs, and I think Zuckerberg too. They like wear the same. He wore the Steve Jobs definitely wore the same thing. I believe Mark Zuckerberg wears about like the same thing every day. Like, how can you eliminate that? Like, how do I spend less time staring in my closet? Like, that's probably a good thing, right? Like, do we really need to look at my closet all that much? Oh, what am I going to wear today? Like, they figured out that that's time wasted, right? And so that's sideways energy. And so, like, you know, how do we spend less time doing that? How do we spend less time doing stuff that's not 
really meaningful to the keeping focused in on the things that are meaningful. And that's really coming down to it, what this idea of essentialism is. is and this is, comes down to our memorable summary, summary for this book. Focusing your energy and time on a carefully selected target to achieve maximum impact. Focusing your energy and time on a carefully selected target to achieve maximum impact. Think about how powerful of a force you can be for good if you saw, hey, if I put all my energy behind this, I'm going to be in a good place and the world would be a better place. And so that's, that's I think, where I want to leave. We're kind of going far, but I, I would like to talk more about this. So we're there's still going to... We're going to... Talk about it just a second, but I still want to do some bonus portions to the podcast, but that's going to be added on to the next episode. So, you know, maybe we'll just talk about it right now. So going forward, so really thinking about this idea of essentialism, you know, I was doing three, basically three podcasts for one podcast, right? For, for one piece of content. So for Love Does, there was a trailer before the episode and then the bonus content afterwards. So that got me thinking, like, I'm doing three times the amount of recording and have to editing down uh, to get kind of one big chunk of content. And even though we got a chance to look at it multiple times, I was thankful for that. But still, how can we make that more manageable? Because that's, again, that might be a little bit of sideways energy or more wiggling in my kind of uh, uh, my energy, right? So rather than do that, what we're going to do going forward with the podcast is to put out the content, right, and offer the opportunity to engage with questions. And what we'll do is then take those questions and address them in the next episode, right, where there's going to be new content, right? But then also within this episode, we're going to talk about what we're going to do in that that next episode. So there's kind of the trailer. So the trailer will be in the previous episode. The bonus content will be in the next episode, but they'll just be all in the episodes, right? So rather than trailers and bonus we're just going to do episodes and just add in the, that content to those episodes. So if you have questions, if you have comments about um, this content or this book or you have other ideas, you're like, hey, Amadon, you missed a big thing with essentialism and here's what we want to talk about. Please submit those to the Facebook page. And I'm going to put a specific post out there um, on the AbaddonPlanet.com uh, Facebook page on this. Hey, submit your questions, comments for this episode here. And please go do that. Go to the Facebook page at Amazon Planet and submit your questions and comments. Uh, also, you know, some of you have been, you know, seeing me out and about and put it, but please put it in there. Put them on the Facebook page and then we can get a conversation going there. Um, and if we come up with a better way to do it, we'll come up with a better way to do it. But let's try to focus in an effort on that Facebook page. If you're not on Facebook, you know, maybe just try it for this point. But if you see me out and about, we'll get it. But let's try to focus in on putting some questions or comments on the Facebook page. And then um, also to preview what's coming up, we're going to be doing an interview with my uh, good friend, Dr. Gary Williams uh, from Wittenberg University. He's the athletic director. He's also, uh, he's rising up in the world at Wittenberg University. And and he's just, he's one of my best friends uh, from Badger Boy State. We've known each other for, man, 20 years. 20 years. And so we're going to be talking about leadership. His, uh, his PhD is in leadership. And so 
uh, or his doctorate is in leadership. And so we're going to be talking about leadership and we're going to talk a little bit about him. And he's an amazing guy and I'm excited about our conversations going forward. So we're going to have a a series of of interviews on leadership, but we're also going to be interspersing some books in between. So we'll get an opportunity to to engage with him, but also an opportunity to engage in some more content uh, with some books or podcasts and things. So Anyway, that is all I have for episode two of the, or I'm sorry, episode three of the Amazon Planet podcast. As you know, as you can hear, I just get excited about this content. And if you have some feedback, I invite you to engage with me. And there's a few ways I invite you to engage. One, subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, Google Play. You can also follow the podcast in Spotify. Please share the podcast. Uh, if you heard something you know someone else needs to hear, hey, share it to them. Um, review the podcast through your preferred podcast provider. Thank you to O. Gray M., who said through the uh, iTunes uh, platform that I love the conversations, warm up, and bonus materials way of engaging subscribers. I'm excited to recommend the podcast with my students and colleagues. Thank you. Those those uh, components will still be a part of this you know kind of updated version of the podcast. So please, uh, thank you for. Uh, that uh, review and you can also like the Amazon planet podcast facebook page so you can see those uh, questions and comments uh, that are coming through or the post that i put there and also you can subscribe to the Amazon planet email list by going to amazonplanet.com hitting the subscribe button open at the top right and uh, you can get hooked up to our email list we're going to be doing some more with that in the very near future you can also reach me via instagram twitter and facebook all on the handle at amazon planet i'll be looking for questions and comments related to the episode there again um and, and if you have suggestions for new books to review or other content to feature, please uh, let me know what you're thinking. Um, and also I'm on LinkedIn uh, if you want to go there as well. So thank you for taking the time to listen to episode three of the Amazon Planet podcasts. Uh, special thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music. We've got new music in this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to be better, teach better, and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you've been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace.